Hey, this is Caleb Cole, pastor of Project Church in Sacramento. And man, I am so excited for you to hear this word. I believe God is going to encourage you, strengthen you, and challenge you through it. So get ready to receive from God today. You guys, uh, good morning, Project Church. It is so good to see you today. I am, ex- I am so excited to bring the word. And I'm probably going to say excited many more times because um, I believe that God is doing something special in this season at Project, Project, Ch- Project Church. At Project Church, And I really believe that every single one of you who made it here today are in for a word that's going to propel us into the final um, leg of this year. You know, um, I think that there, that this year, 2021, in some regards has been harder than 2020 because I think that our emotional state is dealing with a fallout of what we experienced in 2020. And I think some of us are trying to catch up and, and integrate back into the speed of the world opening back up, but we're still dealing with a lot of emotions. And so I think that God has been doing an internal work in Project Church. And he said, though, from the very beginning, that 2021 was going to be a year of overflow. And some of you are like, man, my tank is empty. I feel underwhelmed by the presence of God. I feel beaten down, trodden, threshed, and threatened by the enemy at every turn. But God says that the year is not over, Project Church. The year is not over. And you know what we're doing? At the end of this year, before Christmas and before the new year, we're going to end with a series, Understanding Overflow Once Again. So I'm closing out the Mark series. That was my intro to, I'm just closing out the Mark series today. But we're ending the year with a series, and it's a generosity series on overflow. Overflow, living the blessed life of abundance. That's what we're going to end on. So don't quit yet. Somebody need to hear this this morning. Do not quit yet. Do not quit ever. But don't even quit. The year is not over. I don't know how hard 2021 was for you. It's been hard for me. It's been hard for this church. It's been hard for everybody. But I don't want to look back on 2021 and look at the hard things. I want to look at the growing things, the challenging things, and believe him for the overflow. All right, here we go. I'm so excited. Are you excited? You should be excited. You should be excited because anytime we open up scripture, we have an opportunity to hear from the Lord. And he has a word for you today. We're coming up on um, a part of Mark where we are hearing final words from Jesus. And we're in chapter 14, verses 26 through 31. Pastor Lauren preached a great message, understanding the weight of Jesus' words at the Last Supper. And I'm still in the Last Supper. And I think we have to understand that the weight of Jesus' words are going to carry a lot of weight until the end of his life. So this morning, I want you to a degree to understand the weight of what God is saying to you today. We shouldn't always come into church just hoping to get, feel light all the time. Sometimes the weight produces change in our life. Sometimes we experience weight because God says something needs to change. Something needs to change. Something needs to be offloaded. And he wants to take those burdens from you. So we're coming into another part of scripture where Jesus, again, is at the end of his life. He, and he has a lot of weight to his words. 
And have you ever had a moment where somebody was just reading your mail? Have you ever had that? Have you ever come to church and, you know, somebody's talking to you and just telling them what they think God is doing in your life and you're just kind of like, how did you know? And then all of a sudden your demeanor changes because you're like, how do they know? But really, how do they know? And then you just kind of like, okay, I'm kind of encouraged, but how do they know? <laughs> and I, I, my kids experience this a lot. Like when we know that they're lying or they're being dishonest, and we don't even have to say anything. We just have to look at them. And then you just see this weight come on them. And they're just kind of like, oh, okay, you're right. Okay, I totally was cheating. Okay, I was totally being bad. I was totally messing with my brother or my sister. Even though they try to convince us and even themselves that what they did wrong wasn't really wrong. There's so many examples I could give, but I just don't want my kids to hear one day, you know, the stories of them lying and cheating. Um, you know, and that's, that's, that's not what I want to define them by. And I need you to understand today, the reason why I'm not giving an illustration for you is because I want you to not be defined by your mistakes. I don't want you to walk away from here just being defined by your shortcomings. But I think you need to understand, and this is the, the title of my message, that you need to know your worst, but you have to know his best. You need to know your worst days your worst days, your worst mistakes, your worst failures are nothing compared to God's best. And when you know his best, then you know that his best is great plans for you. You know that his love is great plans for you, and it negates your worst. Today, we're going to read scripture, and we're going to see how the disciples, unbeknownst to them, are shown their worst because God knows their worst. But then he shows up with his best. Today, God is wanting to remind you of what he does best, and he loves us best. So don't be defined by anything from your past, but walk into the truth of who he is. So this part of the story, again, we're just coming out of the Last Supper. And the, the Last Supper is really the, the dinner that they were having to celebrate Passover. Passover, if you don't know, years ago, like generations before the Israelites, they experienced Passover. And, you know, they were in bondage to, the, to Egypt. And Egypt um, was experiencing a bunch of plagues that God was sending upon them so that Pharaoh would let, let Jesus' pe God's people go. And so one of the plagues was um, the death of the firstborn. And what happened was... If an Israelite would put the blood of the lamb on, the, on their doorpost, then the death angel would pass over their home. Do you know what's happening, right? Do you, and so when, so when they would pass over, the firstborn child was saved, and there was life. And so year after year after year since this happened, they celebrated Passover, and there was a moment of praise. And so this is what, what they're celebrating. This is the dinner that's happening. And this is where Jesus reveals his omniscience. If you've ever heard of this word omniscience, um, Jesus' omniscience is in full display. And this is the state of knowing everything. Jesus reveals to the disciples during this Passover Last Supper meal that he knows everything that has happened, is happening, and will happen. Jesus, in this moment, reveals that he knows everything, and he calls one of the disciples out at this dinner and says, Peter, you're going to deny me 
three times. So let's pick it up, Mark 14, 26 through 31. And he says this, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he emphatically but he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. Okay, now before you start to go in on Peter and how messed up he is for saying that he's not going to deny Jesus, when we know in a few verses he's, a gonna, he's going to deny Jesus, I want you to recognize that at the very end it says, and they all said the same. And I think for us we need to hear and we all said the same. At every point of our lives, most days, one of us will deny Jesus. And I think we under, I was trying to explain to Canaan, he's like, I'm not going to deny Jesus. I'm like telling him what I'm preaching about. He's like, I'm not going to deny Jesus. I said, every time you disobey mom and dad, you're denying Jesus. Every time you disobey or every time you cheat, every time you lie, every time you um, give a white lie, every time you are rude to your neighbor, every time that you say something unkind to your um, spouse, to your child, to your sister, to your sibling, to a stranger, we are denying Christ. And the reason why it's this denial it's because we're deny when we do these things, when we sin against God, and when we do something less than what God has called us to do, we're denying the goodness that he wants to pour out on our lives. Sometimes we just think about, oh, oh I messed up. But no, God's saying, you're blocking me from giving you all that I want to give you. We're saying, no, Jesus, I don't want your best. I'd rather live in myself and let my emotions take over. And really, it's about myself. Every single one of us is going to deny him at one point. And honestly, I think we deny him every single day. In our thought lives, in our relationships, in our hearts. And so there should be weight in this room today. But there's also a promise. There's also a promise that he does his best. And when we know his best, it doesn't let us live in the denial that we that we walk in. But 1 John 3.20, I do want you to understand this. It says this, For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. I don't think we all willfully sin. I think that we are just imperfect beings, and that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the overflow of the heart, behavior happens. And so I want you to hear that in 1 John 3.20, the word says, for whenever our heart condemns us. Our heart will condemn us. Whenever means it is inevitable that we're going to deny him. God knows our denial is inevitable, but God's love makes us redeemable. That means that he loves us on our worst day. And this scripture reveals that he loves Peter on his worst day. He doesn't condemn him right then and there. He just tells him that, he, I know. I know you. I know what you have done. I know what you are doing, and I know what you will do. But I'm still going to go to the cross for you. He loves us 
on our worst day. God knows our denial is inevitable, but God's love makes us redeemable. So we see what God knows in these scriptures. His, his omniscience is on full display, and I want to make a few observations of God's omniscience. The first is that Jesus knows what we need to do. Some of you are walking in this life confused, heavy laden, burdened, and you don't know what to do. Jesus knows what you, what you need to do. Jesus knows what you need to do in whatever situation that you're facing. But this is what happens. He prepares us to praise. Read it in verse 26. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. I love that Jesus, all this stuff unfolds before he's about to go to the cross. But they start at a Passover meal. And at the Passover meal, they'll always do something called the Hillel. Hallel is the root word for hallelujah. And every meal, they praise God for what he did century or year, thousands of years, hundreds of years prior, where the Passover, the, the death angel passed over their homes and saved their firstborn, right? So every time they have a Passover meal, they do the Hallel and they recite Psalm 113 through 118. And those Psalms just talk about how God delivered them from Egypt. We sang a song, you, you walked me out of Egypt, you, you, you saved me, you, you had mercy on us, you, you saved your people. And then you get to Psalm 136, and every single person at a Passover dinner, they recite Psalm 136 because they just praise. They just praise God for who he is. And this is what God is telling us today, that he's preparing you to praise him no matter what situation you're going into. We're always in a trial, going into a trial, or coming out of a trial. And Jesus is telling you, you need to be prepared in every single trial, going into it, in one, and coming out of it with praise. Today, we need to praise Jesus. His omniscience should, should beckon us to praise him the same way that, the, that his, him and his disciples were praising God for what he did. Every Passover meal, every time we gather in the church, we're going to praise him. We're going to say hallelujah. Thank you for being so good. Thank you for delivering us from our sin. Thank you for delivering us from our enemies. You need to be prepared today. Today, you need to be prepared with praise. God knows what you need to do, and I'm going to tell you right now that what you need to do is praise. Every single time you're in a trial, every time you're faced with a decision to obey him or not, every time you're, you're faced with any decision, every time you choose to worship, you choose obedience. Can you think about that? You're confused at what you need to do next. All you got to do is worship him. Every time you choose to worship him, every time you choose to come to church, every time you choose to open up your Bible, every time you choose to play a worship song, you're choosing obedience. You may not know the next step, but you're choosing obedience, and you can be sure that your path is straight when you're obeying him. Praise is our pathway to hope. If you've got down already because I was telling you that you're the worst and that you're going to deny him, I want you to understand praise is your pathway to hope. If you've got, gotten down, just understand that when you start getting into this mindset of self-pity and you start getting mad at yourself for all your mistakes and when you start living in shame, the self-pity is actually just self-focus and then that's selfishness and that's the opposite of what God's asking you to do. He's asking you to praise him. 
He's asking you to praise him. So today, I don't want you to get stuck in your denial of Jesus and the moments of disobedience. I want you to get your hopes up with praise. Get your hopes up. Get your hopes up with praise, and that's by saying, you are my champion. I have messed up, but you are my champion. I have sinned, but you released me from Egypt. I need you. You are to be praised. Your love endures forever. Psalm 136 is a psalm that at every Passover meal they would end their time with, and here's what it says. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord. Give praise to the God of gods. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His faithful love endures forever. Verse 4, give thanks to him who alone does mighty miracles. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who made the heavens so skillfully. His faithful love endures forever. Verse 16, give thanks to him who led his people through the wilderness. His faithful love endures forever. Verse 26, give thanks to the God of heaven. His faithful love endures forever. His love endures forever, forever and ever. On your worst day, he loves you the most and he loves you forever. He loves people the most for the longest that anybody else can love you. His faithful love endures forever. Some people wonder what God or some people assume that the word that describes God the most is probably holy, it's probably forgiving, is probably, you know, perfect. But it actually, this scripture and many other scriptures uses the word um, his faithful love as a description of who God is. And it's the description that is used most in the text ever, in, in all of scripture, and that's loving kindness. That means that God forever wants to do good to his people. So no matter what you've done, no matter what you've done, his faithful love endures forever. We need to be prepared in life with praise. Jesus knows, he knows what we need to do, and that is praise. Praise strengthens you as you walk through a trial. Praise sustains you within the trial, and praise will be your response when you see that he saves you from your trial. The truth of the matter is that our greatest trials are the result of our greatest denials. So just praise him. It's bound to happen. And you can be sure that your denial, your denial and your disobedience will alter your direction in life. It, it, sometimes, there's moments where we get off course. How many people have gone off course at a point in their lives? But praise gives you course correction. Praise brings you back on the path that you're supposed to be walking in. Praise delivers you from the wrong path, and it puts you back on the trajectory that God designed for you. So let's understand that God, in his omniscience, he knows exactly what we need to do. And in the scripture, you see that even before he's about to go into the greatest trial of his life, he prepares himself and he prepares the disciples to praise to praise, to say hallelujah, that you're good no matter what. Your loving kindness endures forever, so praise him. So praise him. Come on, does somebody need to just praise him today? Come on, praise him. God, you are good. Your love endures forever. I have messed up, but I'm going to praise you. Another observation of God's omniscience 
is that God knows what our future holds. God knows what our future holds. So what does he do in the scripture? What does it show in his, his, his moment of showing off his omniscience? He prophesies and promises our path. He prophesies and promises our path. Do you know that God knows what you're going to do before you do it? Do you know that your pathway is already set? And yes, your denials get you off track, but once you praise him, you get back on track. But here's the cool thing about Jesus. He knows He knows what you're going to do. He knows what you're going to do wrong, yet he still promises a greater future. But can we just look for a second at how, how, I'm just trying to put myself in the room with Jesus when he tells us that he knows the future. All right, he says this in verse 27. And Jesus said to them, you will fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. I think that the disciples were probably confused, but, but I would have been confused. But Jesus knows the future because he knows scripture. Let me tell you this. Jesus, God knows you can know your future if you know scripture. That's just for free, okay? But it says this in Zechariah 13.7. Jesus was quoting the scripture in Zechariah 13:7, awake sword, or awake sword against my shepherd, against the man who is close to me, declares the Lord Almighty. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered, and I will turn my hand against the little ones. Jesus is quoting scripture. He knew that, that the shepherd was going to be struck, which is him, and that his sheep would scatter, the disciples would scatter. So Jesus is telling them what he knew was, 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 was prophesied in Zechariah. And then in Isaiah 53, 4 through 5, he is also, he was talking about this scripture. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken. The shepherd is striked, right? Smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. So what we hear happening is that Jesus is prophesying what is going to happen. He knows what's going to happen, but there's an encouragement that is coupled with it. Yes, you're going to deny me. Yes, you're going to scatter. It says in Mark 14, 50 that they all left him and they all fled. God knew, Jesus knew that his disciples would scatter and hide and be scared of little girls who were saying, are you, gonna, are, are, are you one of Jesus' followers? And he knew that Peter was going to deny, deny him to a little girl. Okay, so Jesus knew, but he always couples what he knows is going to happen and what he knows our future failures are with a promise. He couples it with a promise because he doesn't just leave us down and out. He gives us hope. It says this, that in verse 28, but after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. He promises in our denial that he's going to be raised up. After his death, he's going to be raised up. After your denial, you're going to be raised up. After your denial, Jesus is going to draw nearer. That's just what he does. He doesn't leave us to the despair of our path, but he promises a greater future. But what I do think that he's reminding us here is to not be like Peter. He tells us to never say never. Never say never. Okay, no Justin Bieber fans? Okay, that's fine. (laughs) Just one in the front row. Peter says, even though they fall away, I will not. 
Jesus says, by quoting all this scripture, never say never. He already knows that your path isn't going to be perfect, but he prophesies a path, and he prophesies and he promises because he's always in pursuit of us. You can be sure that God is pursuing you in the midst of your denial. Your denial doesn't define your final destination. Is somebody grateful for that? Your denial doesn't define your final destination. We know our future. We can know our future because we know the word. And it says that he has plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope. Thank you, Jesus. Know your worst, but know his best. But most importantly, know his best is that he loves us with a pursuit that we cannot deny. This pursuit that we cannot deny. I want you to see a third observation about God's omniscience. We see in scripture that Jesus knows what we'll choose. And he provides his presence in our pride. So we see that Peter says, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. Never say never. Never say never. What we see here is that God, Jesus, draws near to a prideful person. He doesn't say, oh, you're going to deny me. Peace out. Get out of here, Peter. And everybody else, follow me. You know, he, doesn't, he doesn't punish. Thank you, Jesus. He does not punish Peter right there in the moment of his pride. He, draws, he, he gives him a chance. He gives him a moment to um, really understand the gravity of his words. Pride is being confused with what needs to have our focus. Peter was so preoccupied with what, what his position was with Jesus. Did you hear that? He's so preoccupied with his position with Jesus. Oh, Jesus, I will never do that. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to stand right by your side. And then just like moments later, he denies him. I want us to all understand that our worst is really our pride. Every single one of us is prideful. The, the root of all sin is pride. It's self-focus. It's preoccupation with self. And it looks a lot like self-preservation. It looks a lot like projecting. It looks a lot like posturing. This is my position. This is what I can do. And I, I actually want you to look at Luke 22. It says, um, it gives a, a closer account to this account that is in Mark. Mark is a lot more of a fast-paced book. He says immediately, like, throughout the scripture because he's just, like, trying to tell the story real quick. But Luke gives us a little bit more detail. And we understand that during the Last Supper, and I think <clears throat> Lauren mentioned this in his message, that they begin to dispute, verse 24, a dispute also arose among them as to which one of them was regarded as the greatest. Which one was regarded as the greatest. And then Jesus in verse 31 says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Here's the thing. Every single one of us is going to deny him just like the disciples denied him. And just like the disciples were posturing, projecting, and walking in pride and wondering who was the greatest. When Jesus is saying, guys, pray with me. I'm about to die. <laughs> 
but they're so preoccupied with themselves, they don't really understand the fullness of what Jesus is trying to tell them is about to take place. And I wonder if some of us are walking through life a little confused about what's supposed to happen in their lives, what's supposed to or what they want to happen because we're so full of ourselves that we can't see God clearly. Pride takes the focus off of what we need to be focusing on. Pride prevents us from hearing from God. So there's moments where, yes, I think that God allows us to have some space so that we can lean into him. But there's also moments where he's talking the whole time to us, but our pride will not allow us to hear him correctly. Our pride will not allow us to look at him the right way. Our pride prevents us from having the right perspective. Here's what the people were saying. They began to question one another. Which, which, which one of you guys, which of them it could be who was going to do this to Jesus? It wasn't just Peter that was going to deny him. Now everybody, you know, he, he, he prophesies that Judas is going to betray him. And all the disciples start looking around at each other. And not only are they concerned about their own position, they're concerned about everybody else's position. How many times are we distracted in our pride by everybody else's position around us that we can't even hear God for ourselves? And then we are even trying to hear God for other people. And y'all got to just worry about yourselves. And what God is speaking to you about yourself. We're turning around and looking at all the other people and what they're doing wrong. I think God's reminding us this morning, however, that although that you deny him, although there's pride in your life, it does not determine his affection towards you. I'm not here again to get your hopes down. I'm here to get your hopes up that we serve a God whose love endures forever, who the name that is used about him the most in scripture is loving kindness. Romans 2, 4, it tells us that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. It's the loving kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And no matter what we've done wrong, he still made a way for us. No matter how messed up the disciples were, and they're just as messed up as the rest of us. We're just as messed up as they are. He still had a pathway to redemption. Romans 8, 38, it says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you that you just don't leave us in the denial and the despair of our denial, but you make a way for us. And so this morning, me as a servant of the Lord and the person who has chosen to speak this message is not trying to tell you that you stink and that you, you're, it's, you have all this pride. Yes, know your worst, but please know his best, that nothing can separate you from the love of God. His very name means that he wants to do good to all people. He says, again, in, in Hebrews 13, 5, in the scriptures, it says, I will never leave you or never forsake you. That was something that was being quoted from 
um, the time of Moses, Joshua and Caleb days, that I will never leave you or forsake you. So the God of the Israelites, the God who passed over, the passed over God, like the God who passed over and gave life and, re, and redeemed life and retained life is the same God that's saying today that I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Nothing that you do can keep me from loving you. Psalm 23, 6, he's so good. He's so good. He's so kind. But Psalm 23, 6, this, this scripture struck me since last week. Let me read it. It's a hallel. It's a, a moment of praise. But it says this, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, there's moments where we read the scripture and like, yeah, surely goodness and mercy, it'll follow me. Thank you, Lord, that you're pursuing me. You're good. And there's moments in our life where I think we know when things go awry or things go wrong, it's sometimes things that we just can't control. And so when we can't control, you know, the bad things that happen in our life, the hard things, the painful things, we're like, you know, God, you're still good. Man, God, you are still good no matter what. All right? That's great. But then there's other times where we choose to deny God, where we choose disobedience. And I don't know about you, but I know for me that when I have disobeyed him and when I have confronted myself and, and I'm finally honest and I'm not blaming everybody around me, I'm not blaming the enemy, but when I just get alone with God and he reveals to me, that no, you weren't the best mom in that moment. You weren't the best wife. You weren't the best pastor. You weren't the best leader. I'm telling you, there's moments where we have to understand our worst. I'm not saying live in it. I'm not saying live in it. But when I read, surely your goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. When I say that it's hard to receive his goodness and mercy, when we understand the depravity of our souls, it's hard to receive it. I mean, I wanna tell you about the things that I've chosen willfully to disobey God in, in the last year. I wanna tell you that, but I don't even want you to focus on that. I don't want you to focus on me. I want you to understand what is God asking you to examine your heart about today, this morning, this moment. And you're like, oh man, see, I thought you were wanting to get my hopes up. This, this sucks, Chrissy. Like, this is hard. Why, what are you doing to me? You know what I'm doing to you? I'm doing what God so lovingly does to us because his love endures forever. Because his name means loving kindness. Because his love, nothing can separate me from his love. So his kindness, his goodness, his love is bringing me to repentance. What is it that God's asking you to repent of? Surely goodness and mercy will follow you all of your days. God wants some of us to receive and accept his mercy. Goodness is easy for me sometimes. Oh, I, I didn't mean to do that, but you're still good. Or, or, or those people hurt me, you're still good. The situation you go my way, you're still good. But then it's just like, oh, I did that wrong. I disobeyed. I denied his mercy. His loving kindness that leads us to repentance. His mercy is following every single one of you who wants to live in the despair of your own mistake. 
your own failure. He's saying, no, 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 don't walk. Don't, don't get stuck there. Just know that my mercy is following you and pushing you forward. Just accept it, receive it, repent first, though. This morning, I wanted to remind you that we serve a good God, but we, we also serve a merciful God. His goodness is following you. His mercy is following you. And somebody is getting the opportunity to examine their heart so you can be led to repentance. And when there is repentance, there is freedom, there is life, and there's this knowing, there's this knowing of a love that can't separate us. Oh, his love will not separate us from the best part, the best future, the best eternity. God loves us so much. Could you bow your heads in this place? Surely your goodness and your mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I just want to pray for you right now. God, I thank you for every person in this room that was brought here, that was led here. And some of us need to be reminded that there's there's situations out of our control and you're still good. But there's some situations that we have chosen the wrong way. But your mercy is still there. You're leading us to repent so that we can receive your love fully. God, we don't want our pride to push you away. We don't want our pride to separate us. We don't want our pride to stop the flow of blessing into our lives. So Jesus, reveal yourself right now in our hearts. Forgive us. Forgive us, but help us understand where we need to be forgiven. Lead us to repentance even in this moment so that we can experience your best, and your best is your loving kindness. We know that we're not perfect. We know that you're pursuing us, so reveal yourself even now. As I was praying today, keep your head, bow, your head bowed and your eyes closed. As I was pray, praying, I just want to know by a show of hands if God revealed something to you that he wants you to just ask repentance for. If that's you in this room, did you raise your hand? Yeah, hands all over the room. Amen. That admission is your admission to salvation. So if you're in this room and you say, I want to renew my walk with Jesus. I want to give my life back to him. I know that I've gone wayward. I know that I've stepped away. I know I've gone off the path, but I want to praise him in my decision today so that I can be brought onto course correction. If you want to recommit your life to him, or if you want to walk with him for the first time and you're thinking, man, I've, I've never even been on the path. I don't even know how I got here today. Well, God designed and ordained for you to be here this moment to hear this message so that you could receive him and that you can be brought to a point of repentance, but also that you can be free from the guilt and shame of your past. If that's you in this room and you want to repent and you want to start a relationship with Jesus or rekindle your relationship with Jesus, I'm going to count to three and I want you to raise your hand on the count of three. One, two, three. Raise your hand if you want to recommit to Jesus. Amen. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Yeah, come on, eight, nine. Come on, 10, 11. Amen. Come on. Yeah, I'm on. Come on, let's just praise the Lord right now. Thank you, Jesus.
everybody in this room, why don't you praise him by praying this with me and praying with all those who raise their hand. Dear Jesus, thank you for bringing me here today. Thank you for your loving kindness that leads me to repentance. I accept you today. I repent of my sin. I confess my sin and I confess my dire need of you. Forgive me, wash me clean, make me new, and give me the strength to live for you all the days of my life. I love you, Jesus. Thank you in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Come on, why don't we stand to our feet? Amen. We're going to sing this song, Promises, just as a declaration. But as we sing this song, I just want to encourage our prayer team. They're going to be waking their way up here. But if you raised your hand today, if you repented, and if you said, I'm going to walk with you, this is the most important decision you can make in your life. And we would love to just like seal that moment with somebody in prayer. It's that moment where you and God and a, and a witness and an accountability will say, this is the most important decision you can make. Let's seal it in heaven by praying. So, but let's otherwise sing this song of promise to God. He promises forgiveness. He promises a good path. So let's worship him and praise him this morning. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to the Project Church podcast. We pray and hope that this message encouraged you, built you up, and gave you life. We want to ask that you would invest right now in what God is doing here in downtown Sacramento. We've just recently moved in to our all-new building in the waterfront, Old Sacramento District. We want to ask you, if you'd like to give, you can go to projectchurch.com forward slash give to invest. Let's see all that God can do through us.